Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Follow on Twitter at TweetJHood. What's up and welcome in. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Open phone lines for you. 312-332-ESPN. 332-3776 is the telephone number. Hit me up on Twitter, twitter.com. Tweet jhood. Thanks for being with me here on this uh, Wednesday night as we try to figure out what baseball's plan is. We just got through doing the baseball show and kind of previewing the Cubs and Sox and what we can expect in the 60 games, but I'm just trying to figure out what baseball's plan is. So let me go back to the tweet. Uh, and if you are, have not checked out our baseball show, you got to check it out. The baseball show every night after Waddle and Sylvie at 6 are uh, brought to you by Goose Island Beer Company. It is a, a great sponsor, a great partner that we have for our baseball show every night. I was looking at uh, John Heyman's Twitter, at John Heyman, covers Major League Baseball. He says, sources, colon, Major League Baseball and Union are reengaging on the possibility of expanded playoffs for this season. Has to be done before first pitch 25 hours from now. That was a couple hours ago now. That's 23 hours. But there seems to be optimism. Hope was to go from 10 playoff teams to 16. Let me just say this. I've always thought that Major League Baseball was the I Love Lucy of sports. For those of you that have never seen I Love Lucy, you, at least you've heard of it. You know what that is. You know it's a television show. And whether you've seen it or not, you know that it's a TV show from the past, way from the distance past. And the one thing about I Love Lucy is, is that for those that watch it, they always know that one classic episode. Oh, I know that episode. Oh, I know who Lucille Ball is. Or I know that she was a comedian, all this other stuff, right? But the thing is, is about classic television is that it's their classic television because of moments in those particular shows. But it's not necessarily something that resonates today. You might know of it in the back of your head. It might be in a crossword puzzle. But it's nothing that maybe resonates with you today as much as it did back then or someone told you about. So my point is, is that I Love Lucy being a classic show is kind of like baseball. Baseball loves its past. Baseball loves what it used to be. They love to be able to roll out the old tapes. You know, the difference between baseball and, say, the National Football League is the NFL is not trying to roll out the old NFL films to tell you what ba- what football was in the 1960s and 70s. They will always have documentaries and retrospectives, but not rolling out now. And same thing with baseball here in 2020. This is a sport where it's based on numbers. It's based on its past, and, and, and that would makes it a little bit old school, maybe a little bit too old school, to the point where the median age of the normal baseball fan is somewhere between 50 and 55. I think it's actually skewing skewing a little bit older as of late. So that's why baseball has fallen off as far as being with the popular sports like college football, like NASCAR, like pro wrestling, uh, like a mixed martial arts, things like, I mean, there's a lot of popular, the NFL, of course, there's the king of sports. But the point is, is that all of those sports seem to dwarf Major League Baseball because of what I just told you. It's 2020. We're in a pandemic. The players and owners showed themselves to be completely selfish, 
could not come to common ground just for an abbreviated schedule to the point where here we are on the 22nd of July, and now we're going to have baseball starting tomorrow officially. Cubs and Sox start on Friday. My, my biggest point is, is that how is it that baseball, how, how is it that Manfred and the powers that be in Major League Baseball did not come up with this plan knowing, okay, we are not going to have our season start in April. Well, that's clear, right? Because we start talking COVID-19 in March. So here we are in July. And it just occurred to Major League Baseball that, hey, maybe we should expand the playoffs. <laughs> now. It's on the table now. How come it wasn't on the table while they were in negotiations to try to come back on the field? Because you knew it was going to be a shortened schedule. And the one thing that a baseball fan wants, the diehard baseball fans that are out there, the ones that are calling the baseball show, listening to the baseball show, those that love the sport traditionally, you know what they want? They want more baseball. And they love the sport. I would say, just for me, as someone who is a baseball fan, it's already injected into my veins because I'm a child of the 70s, right? Grew up, uh, grew up watching baseball in the late 70s, early 80s, and it's already injected into my veins. I can't get, I can't get rid of it. It's always going to be in my veins. Because during that time when I was a kid, boxing was it, uh, baseball was it, and, and football was it. And, and so those are the three main sports. It was always on the televisions around the crib. But the sport is not necessarily about me. The sport is about the future. And so if you are a millennial, right, and you're looking at, okay, so I'm going to give this baseball a chance because it's not the arduous 162 games plus, plus playoffs, plus, plus this, plus, plus. I'm going to, I'm going to give baseball a chance. And then you come out of nowhere and go, yeah, Baseball, they're going to have 10 playoff teams of 16. Well, you're making this decision now. Now, what if you don't get 16? That might turn some people off. See, in baseball, as we talk about this with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app, in baseball, it's pretty simple that in these markets in which baseball has made itself regionalized, and it really has, you, your team wants to have a chance. This is why some like Tiger fans or Pirates fans um, and a lot of fans across the country in which their team does not, they don't compete. They would love to have a salary cap. So that way they can compete with the Yankees, the Cubs, the Dodgers, the Houston Astros, other uh, teams that spend a lot of money for their team. They would love to be able to compete. But the sport becomes regionalized when there's no salary cap and the salary uh, ceiling continues to go into the sky. So if nothing else, a baseball fan in certain markets would love to have the opportunity to be in the playoffs. 16 sounds good. Imagine if you rolled that out at the same time. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, we have 60 games for this schedule. I'm sorry it's not 81, but we've settled on 60 and we will expand the playoffs. Tyler, you could do both. I mean, like, like this should not be an epiphany now where it's something that's discussed as a maybe. It, again, you have 60 games to be able to get into the sports landscape before here comes college football, possibly. Here comes the NFL. Here comes the NHL. NBA's already started. They already had a, pre, a preseason game or they had a season game um, on NBA TV today. So baseball has to find their niche in this new sports calendar during this COVID-19, and then they roll ass in with this. Think what is about, that? Think about when the NBA and the NHL figured out how many teams were going to go to their respective bubbles. 
what was that, like April, May? Yeah. And now they're starting to get that reboot going up now. Baseball's had that entire time to think about this. And I cannot believe it's taken them this long to get to the point where we're at right now, where we don't know how many playoff teams there's going to be. And guess what? Nationals and Yankees is in 23 hours. So <laughs> the clock is ticking, Manfred. It's ticking fast. Just, just behind the times when you do this stuff. Behind the times. Just, I just, I, I just, the, baseball had an opportunity to make themselves modern. Yeah, it's weird because there's no fans out there, but it won't be fans for uh, all these sports that we're going to be watching here this summer into the into the fall. But at least get on the sports calendar and uh, come across as someone that knows what the hell they're doing. You know, I got to give Gary Bettman credit. I usually don't do this, but Gary Bettman, someone who uh, has not been very good at his job. And it makes me wonder, does he even care about the National Hockey League outside of just being a businessman? He's done a much better job at his job than Manfred has. Does Manfred love the sport, or is he a businessman with bad ideas coming out of nowhere? Like, Silver wouldn't have never done this. Silver wouldn't have said, you know, I think I'm going to expand the playoffs now. I know you guys are starting now, but I'm, it's on the table. No, no, no table. No table. It should be happening right now. It, it, because now you're bringing other uh, teams that normally would not have a playoff opportunity into the fold. And, and, you know, again, there's some bad teams in baseball like Baltimore and Detroit, um, bad teams in baseball that have struggled a lot, like the Pirates, um, the Marlins, uh, Kansas City. Kansas City just won a World Series not too long ago, and they're right back in the toilet again. But there are certain teams in which they say, well, if there's – Maybe a, a fleeting chance. Maybe, right? Maybe uh, maybe my team can get into the playoffs. Well, that's that's what you want to have. Like, you want to b- provide that hope. That's what the NBA has been built on. Would, for the late David Stern to where it is right now, it's based on hope. Maybe with a, 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 a lucky ping-pong ball, uh, a change in fortune for your team, maybe your team can be in the postseason. Because that's ultimately what it is. It's about your team playing more than just a regular season. Meaningful games. Baseball playing meaningful games. And here's baseball, not sure, rubbing their chin, trying to figure out, hmm, what if we, what if we expanded the playoffs? <laughs> your business. You got to do, do be better than that. But it, but once again, my metaphor of baseball being I Love Lucy, you're behind the times. You, lo- you love the episodes, but you're behind the times if you're still quoting from I Love Lucy. Baseball loves the quote from I Love Lucy. All right, coming up next, some big money has been doled out. Uh, regarding the Los Angeles Dodgers and what they've done. Boy, they have really solidified their future. And we talk about the Cubs and the White Sox. The season's right around the corner. What can we expect from both teams? Uh, We'll get some opinions on that coming up next right here on Under the Hood. This is Chicago's home for sports. Stream ESPN 1000 easily on the all-new ESPN Chicago app. You're listening to Under the Hood on ESPN 1000. Mookie Betts, he is taking care of a $365 million extension with the Dodgers. It's a ton of money for him. And... The reason why I bring this up as a topic in reading from Jeff Passan uh, moments ago from ESPN.com that if you hadn't heard, Mookie Betts 
outfielder for the Dodgers, agreed to a 12-year, $365 million extension that keeps the former American League MVP from reaching his free agency this winter. Combined with one-year, $27 million contract he's currently playing out, Betts' total comes to 13 years and $392 million. So you think about this, right? The deal tops the previous record extension of $360 million signed by Mike Trout and includes a record $65 million signing bonus. You know, it's a, it's a funny question, Tyler, and I won't, I won't have you put it on the poll, but I, but I, maybe, you know what, it's, maybe it's a good poll for ESPN, uh, at ESPN MLB, uh, show or baseball show. You just throw it over there. Like, <laughs> like who's going to win a championship between Trout and Betts with the amount of money when you combine the money, right? Three hundred, uh, $392 million plus the 360 right, for Trout. That's a, I mean, that's a ton of money tied up in two guys, both in Los Angeles, both looking for a World Series championship. I think it's a good question um, because it, <laughs> Trout had made a ton, and there's no doubt that Trout is the best player, one of the best players in baseball. You can make the argument about how good Trout is, but his team is better now than it was the last couple of years under Joe Madden. It's better now than it was a couple of years ago, but I Trout still has the pressure on him to perform and he's got some help now. It's a, it's a better team, but man, that's a ton of money because when you give that kind of money, that is saying that no matter what you've got to perform and you've got to produce, they all have to produce. But when you're paid that type of money, you have to not only produce, but overproduce. It's a lot. And the same thing with bets. They're begging on bets to be able to overproduce as well. Uh, you know, just like Pujols, just like A-Rod had those monster deals. It's just a ton. I mean, when you're signing a, almost a $400 million contract, he's, you know, and again, the thing that resonates with me the most is not the money. I'm not saying that Betts doesn't deserve it. I'm never going to be that guy. Whatever an owner wants to dole out to you and say, this is what you're worth, go right ahead. Go right ahead. But it's about the performance along with the money that you make. And I will never, I actually can say never, will look at an athlete and say, well, you made this much money. How come you didn't, how come you went uh, one for four? You made this much money. How come you're in a two-day slump? It's not fair, but this is the money that's doled out. So you just, you know, you take it. You're not going to say, no, that's way too much for me. No, no, no. Let's not do that. Of course, if it's me knowing me, I do the Bonilla deal. I don't need like whatever that breaks down to with monthly payments. I just want to be paid that for the rest of my life. Just stretch it out. Yeah. It's the lottery conundrum of if you win the lottery, do you take the lump sum or do you take the deferred payments and deferred? I always defer. Yeah. It's not even close. I mean, you set not just yourself up, but you set your whole family up for generations. You know, I'm the basketball voice for the UIC Flames, right? Mm-hmm. All my payments are deferred. <laughs> it is. like the and, for, and I'm also the voice of the baseball team, right? Mm-hmm. I told UIC, I said, don't give me, don't pay me until the, until the spring. And it's always a surprise when you look in the mailbox, like, oh, I didn't know I had money. I forgot I had money coming. And that's when you just stuff it in, you know, when you're married, you got to stuff it into your sock and make sure that, <laughs> you know, see that, that's your, that's your personal money, right? <laughs> so, yeah. so just keep that in mind. You know, when you get locked in, I'm just telling you, Todd, when you get locked in and you've got some play-by-play money coming, never show the misses. Just put it in a sock. Yeah, that, uh, you can hide it in the shoe, shoe boxes too. <laughs> anyway, I mean, 
dig a hole in the backyard, whatever works. That's what, that's right. I, like, I've never asked them in season. Like, no, 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 just, uh, just let it be a surprise. Whenever you guys send it, it's fine. Definitely not direct deposit. No, 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 no. You know, my, my good friend, the late Doug Buffon, when he, I was doing uh, afternoons with him and doing radio shows with him. Doug, the former bear, great guy. Doug, I think, was the last person on earth before he passed away to have direct deposit. Like, he was making good money doing sports radio for all those years. And Doug, would, even on off days, would come in to and go to his mailbox and pull his, his check out of his mailbox. And what? I said, Doug, you know, they got direct deposit now. No, no, no. Money in hand. I do not trust it unless it's money in hand. Like, he, he did not trust the system of the direct deposit. Yeah. So when I was in school, I worked in a mail room. And so every Wednesday was, was payday, for, or every other Wednesday was payday for these professors. And I think maybe four or five professors still got it. None of them could have been under the age of 70. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Don't trust it. It's new. It's like, are you sure the money's going to be there? And how can I check it? Well, I mean, there's a way to check it, you know, the computer or like on your phone. No? Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, money in hand. He, he did not believe in the direct deposits. We talked to you here on Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, the ESPN Chicago app. So, yeah, Betts is getting paid. Buster Olney uh, was on today, and he's surprised that Betts was able to sign this deal given there is a pandemic. You know, the wide expectation in the industry is this winter is going to be a slog with free agents because there's going to be a huge number of them, a number of players are probably going to be cut free as uh, non-tenders by their teams. You might have a pool of 350 free agents, and a lot of teams may simply say, look, we're not going to participate in the free agent process until we know what's going on with COVID, whether or not they're going to be fans in the stands. They may not set their budgets, and they're going to be some teams cutting back. And so the folks I talked to around the game today feel like in that context, the Dodgers run the risk of having overpaid Mookie Betts by 30 to 40% within the current context. Um, now, you're 100% right. I mean, Mookie Betts, great guy. Everyone loves Mookie. You're thrilled for him that he got that deal. Uh, but at a time when front offices are laying off people and, and uh, front office executives are taking cuts, this deal has people scratching their heads why this is being executed right now. Thoughts there from Buster Only as you're listening to Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Um, so let me just take a look at the pitching for both sides of town, the Cubs and Sox, as they play their last warm-up games, the Cubs and the White Sox. Sox and Milwaukee have no score, and the Cubs are, are getting the job done in their game against uh, Minnesota. It's 4 nothing Cubs as the Cubs are up at the plate as Rizzo has hit a home run. Contreras also with, um, I believe, two home runs for yeah, him. He's got two. Yeah, I'm looking at this box score. And so, so four nothing Cubs there in their warm up game against the Twins. We, we're letting you know what's going on because just like me, many of you cannot see the Cub game uh, because of the marquee thing, and that's another thing too. Like as Tyler and I just talked to you about how Major League Baseball is behind the times, and how do you not have uh, a, a fresh playoff system for people to sink their teeth into in twenty twenty. Uh, the marquee network, they knew the marquee network was coming. You know, you want to make sure that not only Chicagoland, the state of Illinois, the Midwest was covered with the marquee network. Um, they, now it's just only a few people. 
uh, that you know, not enough people have it. And we get the complaints on Twitter all the time about how come I can't get the marquee network. And it's like, well, you got to ask Tom Ricketts, who was booed unmercifully at the Cubs convention uh, last year when people said, oh, I don't like this. Where's my Channel 9 baseball? Right? And so this here, here we are. Season's going to start on Friday. And those marquee network games, a lot of people will be blacked out. And can't see it. I, I have a, the MLB app. I can't see it on my MLB app unless I drive to. I can't even drive to Milwaukee and see the Cubs on my app. As a matter of fact. But anyway, talking about the pitching for the Cubs and Sox, I just want to get into this a little bit because John Lester is not an ace pitcher right now, and I don't believe that the Cubs have one. And I think the Sox might have an emerging go-to starter in Giolito. So Gordon Wittenmeyer wrote this uh, on NBC Sports Chicago. And that it has been, it's been there since 2015, a stabilizing, credibility-building influence for a team that went from last place to 97 wins in his first season and arrives to that historic championship in his second. Lester has earned two All-Star selections. He's made 10 postseason starts and four opening day starts for the Cubs during his five seasons with the team. And just because he won't start this year's opener or that he's coming off a disappointing 2019 when in which he had a sub-5 ERA at 4.46, it doesn't mean that he won't have any major influences on the team's chances or to focus to have success. So when you take a look at the tiers, right, the, the, the tiers of pitchers in the big leagues, I went to uh, theathletic.com to find this. They approached 20 people in the industry of baseball to gather cross, a cross-section of opinions. Some of the panelists have been in the game for decades. There's some baseball lifers, and there's some people that have scouted. And so here's how they look at the tiers, and here's where I'm getting at with, with Lester and some of the pitchers that we're going to see with the Cubs and Sox this year. The tiers that they have for the pitchers are aces, applicants, number twos and number threes, and guys. Just guys, right? So... And the aces, if you listen to the baseball show, and you already know this yourself, aces like Garrett Cole, who's with the Yankees, and DeGrom with the Mets, and Scherzer with the Nationals, and Verlander with the Astros, those are the aces. And this is what they have identified uh, when you talk about an ace. I'll give you an example of what an ace is. An ace is someone who is 20-5 and five with a 2.50 ERA, with 212 innings pitched, a 2.64 FIP, and 13.8 strikeouts per nine. That's how good Cole was. That's why at age 29 with the Yankees. So that's, I mean, that's what an ace does. N- numbers like that. Uh, Verlander, 21 and six last year with a sub three ERA, uh, a 3.27 FIP, a 12.1 strikeout per nine. I mean, awesome, right? For someone who's 37. But those are aces. The applicants. They list Lucas Giolito from the White Sox as an applicant. And it says here that Giolito is in the upper echelon of the applicant pool. He has shown the ability to excel and the ability to make adjustments. He made a strong uh, major uh, arm swing change going into last year and completely overhauled his arm action. Yeah, there's no doubt. Think about what he was in 2018 and how he's turned around to have a sub-4 ERA and 14 wins, and 11.6 strikeouts per nine. He was dominant. You can see the change there in Giolito from as just an, a regular pitcher, just a guy, to someone who's in the top of the rotation for the White Sox. Now, under the guys category, there are two Cubs that are on the guys category as far as pitching. One of them is Jose Quintana. 
Quintana with a thirteen and nine mark last year, sub five ERA, four point six eight, uh, eight strikeouts per nine. The Cubs acquired Quintana to stabilize their rotation at an affordable price. The price has been fine, but Quintana has yet to post a sub four ERA with the Cubs, and his fastballs fall in the tick. It was you know it went from ninety two six to now ninety one point six in twenty nineteen, uh, and one American League executive said he saw his um, velocity drop a little bit. But check this out, Tyler. The quote actually is, he saw a little bit of his velo drop last year. Like, velo is velocity, but that was the, it's, it's, it says velo. Hmm. That that's the that is the the hip phrase apparently yep. baseball. Right now you talk right there. That's that's it right there. <laughs> Velocity is the word, is it right. not? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> it's velo. Like, velo. Is that the new term that we're going with in the the sabermetrics community? <laughs> Try to spice I, things up. I'm. I mean, again, I know I'm different. I don't necessarily have to have to shorten the word velocity to get my point across. Right? It's like he saw a little bit of his velo drop last year. His velocity? Yeah, his velo. Oh, okay. Congrats. You've got a 25-year-old commissioner. That's <laughs> that's your product of it right there. <laughs> He's some AL executive. I don't even know who that is. I don't, I'm I telling no you. That, that's that's your, your, your 25-year-old commissioner. You want him so bad, that's what you're going to get. I mean, even Theo doesn't say velo. Um, and he skews young. Uh, he walks around Wrigleyville with the with his Starbucks, walking behind people. Um, but the command is mostly still there, and the underlying uh, was better than the surface performance. Uh, I felt harsh putting him in tier four. Well, you know, Quintana's there, but also under the guys category is John Lester. Is John Lester just a guy? Kind of is. And unless he could pull the nose up on his career here in 2020 with the, what, 11, 12 star teams you might have. Keep in mind, he's not the, the opening day pitcher for the Cubs. It's it's Hendricks, and Lester will be number four. Lester fits into one requirement for the uppermost tier. Plenty of folks in the industry trust him on the mound for the final game of a playoff series. The Cubs signed him to be an ace, and he led the staff to a World Series. One American League executive commended Lester for his ability to adapt as his fastball velocity has decreased, emphasizing cutters and change-ups, now that his heaters have no longer have sizzle. That's pretty strong. And look, he's 36. Like, he could pitch until he's 40, but he just won't be the dominant guy that you put at the top of your rotation. He was 13-10 and 10 last year with a 4.46 ERA. So just think about that. I never thought I'd see John Lester as just a guy with the Cubs, but this might be his swan song after this season. Uh, the twos and threes, by the way, category was Hugh Darvish and Kyle Hendricks. The Darvish thing, well, the, the jury's still out on him with a 6-8 six, eight, six record and a sub-4 ERA. Uh... Could someone explain his 4.02 ERA since 2017, by the way? So that, just interesting to look at the starting rotation for both the Cubs and Sox and the tiers that they're put in uh, regarding this upcoming 2020 season. All right, uh, coming up, uh, we are going to preview uh, s- some of the teams that the Cubs and Sox have to deal with. We'll take a look at the Twins, at the Brewers, at the Tigers, at the Reds. We'll take a look at all four of those teams. There will be opponents that the Cubs and Sox have to deal with right here on Under the Hood. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. How you doing? 
Follow us on the gram at IGJHood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Hi, everybody. On ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. We've got the summer of football coming your way at 8 o'clock as we do every night here on ESPN 1000. We'll hear from Stacy Dales from the NFL Network getting her thoughts about the Bears, what we can expect from the Bears and uh, the NFC North uh, coming your way at 8 o'clock right here on Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights at 7 right here on ESPN 1000. So glad that you're with us as we... Take a look at what the Cubs and Sox have to deal with. We will uh, start with uh, Minnesota. Let's go to Score North and scorenorth.com's Manny Hill, a talk show host in that fine city in the Twin Cities. I talked to him earlier about what the Sox have to deal with with the Twins, but first I asked him about Minnesota and what stood out most about the team last year. Uh, well, certainly the lineup. I mean, the lineup was incredible last year setting the major league record with with home runs um as as a team and you know and that was without josh donaldson last year now you add him into the mix um this figures to be in 2020 even though it's going to be a shortened 60 game season um this figures to be every bit as potent a lineup as it was last year if not more with the addition of donaldson so um they're they're going to be in pretty good shape on on that end, and um, you know, and I think when you look at the off season too, they've they've also not just with the addition of Donaldson, but they've improved the pitching staff too, going and getting uh, Kenta Maeda and Rich Hill from the Dodgers, and they added Homer Bailey for some depth purposes for the rotation as well, and they they've been able to keep the bullpen intact, which was really kind of the strength of of the pitching staff um, down the stretch run last season, so. Um, I like a lot of the moves that they've made um, over the course of the winter, and and now we're finally going to see um, see this product, see how it's going to look in a in a two and a half month sixty game season. Is there anything, Manny, you could tell me that's the difference between uh, Rocco Baldelli and Paul Molitor when Molitor was managing the team? Well, I think you know Molly did a really nice job. I think with what he had and the situation that he was. Uh, presented with, I think the the difference I think between him and Rocco, though, I think Rocco has just been able to, um, you know, connect with the players a little bit more um, on a on a personal level that you know maybe maybe Molly wasn't really able to do, and you know, in, in today's baseball, I mean, it's it's different now, Jay Hood. I mean, you you got to really be able to to reach players and and connect with them in a way. Um, that you know others can't and i think that's what rocco has been able to do he just he's able to sort of bring this this calming sort of um uplifting personal personable uh personality um to the table and I, and I think last year at least in his first year everything really kind of clicked really well and he was able, he was able to reach the players and connect with the players really well and and you know when you look at this roster you got a really nice mix of veteran players with Donaldson, and then you've got Nelson Cruz back as well, who had a great year for them last year. 
with the mix of, of some young talent that figures to be really entering their prime, guys like Eddie Rosario and Max Kepler and Byron Buxton, if he can stay healthy, Miguel Sano. So this team has a, has a really good mix of veteran and young players, and Rocco has been able to connect with all of these guys, and it's, um, it's been really impressive to see. Manny Hill from Score North and scorenorth.com with Jonathan Hood. You mentioned something that was eye-popping to me, uh, Manny, and that is the amount of home runs that were hit by the Twins. How much did that power uh, impress you or surprise you, I should say? Well, I, I was honestly, I was really surprised at the type of year that Nelson Cruz had last year. I think, you know, when when they brought him in, I initially thought, okay, he's going to be sort of a mentor for Miguel Sano, and he's probably not going to play in a ton of games, and he's probably going to give him, you know, 25 home runs, and he'll maybe drive in about 60, and he'll play in about 100 games, and he'll really help Miguel Sano take that next step. Well, Miguel did take a next step, and he had a really nice year for them after he was um, after he missed some time at the start of the year with, with an injury. Um, but then on top of that, Nelly just had a great year in his own right. He had 41 home runs. He drove in 108. Um, he had an OPS over 1,000. I mean, and this was a guy that was 39 years old, and now this year he's turning 40, and you figure there's – doesn't figure to be much of a drop-off, you would think. So um, if there's anything that really stood out to me last year, it was Nelson Cruz, you know, looking 10 years younger than what he actually was. He just had a phenomenal season last year for them. I need to get some checking on you guys. That's, I mean, 307 home runs is a lot. That's, that's, that's a ton, Manny. What's going on? Oh, my there? gosh. <laughs> it's, Jay Hood, it's off the charts, man. I yeah. mean, it's, and and to, to think, too, you think about how many home runs that is, you know, they were going neck and neck with the Yankees for the record down the stretch of the season, and they ended up just, just edging them. So it's, it's I mean, that's that's the game of baseball today. I mean, at least last year with whatever they did to the baseballs, they did something to it because there were just an astonishing amount of home runs really all over all over the major leagues, and the Twins, um, the Twins were right at the forefront of it. Where do you place the uh, the starting pitching staff? Odorizzi, um, Maeda, you talked about Barrios. Where do you place the pitching staff amongst others in the American League, the starters? Well, I think they're certainly in the upper half. Um, I don't, you know, I mean, you, you, you try and match them up with, you know, like the Houston Astros. I mean, even though the Astros don't have Garrett Cole anymore, um, they still got Verlander, they still got Zach Greinke. That's still a pretty good one-two punch. Cleveland, I think, still has a. I think Cleveland has the best rotation um, in terms of just top end talent and depth. Um, they have the best rotation in the division in the American League Central. Um, but I think the Twins are are right there, and I think the Twins have enough to to compete with those teams. And you know, if you get matched up with one of those two teams in a best of five LDS series, you've got a shot. You know, if Barrios is is at the top of his game. Jake Odorizzi had a really nice year for them last year. Um, and then you throw in a Kenta Maeda, who they didn't have last year. Um, you know, I think that's a, that's a, it's a formidable unit. And if they, can keep, if they can get two and a half months of good pitching from those three guys, and then, you know, whatever you can get out of Rich Hill, whatever you can get out of Homer Bailey, um, I think they've got a shot. Um, you know, I, I think this 
in a weird way, this 60-game season, I think, is going to really help Jose Barrios because historically he's been a guy that has always started out fast and started out strong and then sort of tailed off at the end um, at the end of the season. It usually gets you get around to August, you get three, four months into the season, and he starts to wear down. Well, now when we get to August, the season will be just having gotten underway. And so you figure he's going to be – more equipped to, to handle a shortened season and, and you'll get the best out of Jose Barrios come playoff time, you know, if you're able to stay healthy and, and win the division and get yourself in a position to, to compete for a championship. So, um, But it, it is a pretty solid unit. I think it's a, with the addition of Maeda and the other guys, I think it's a, it's a better unit than what it was last year. Um, you know, and then I haven't even mentioned Michael Pineda, who uh, you know, who was really good for them down the stretch before he got suspended. If they can get anything out of him, um, that'll be uh, that'll be the cherry on top. So they're they're in pretty good shape. So thoughts from uh, Manny Hill. Talked to him earlier on, just trying to get an idea of where the um, where the Minnesota Twins are in the American League Central. Now we'll stay in the Central and talk about the Tigers. Boy, they were woeful. Boy, they lost over a hundred games uh, last year. Anthony Finnich. I talked to him who covers the Detroit Tigers for the Detroit Free Press, I asked him, even in a short season, like 60 games, anything could happen, right? Can the Tigers compete in a shortened season? You can, but it would be very hard. Um, I think that the talent is obviously better than it uh, was last season. I mean, 114 losses is a lot. I think uh, that was just a little bit too much for the Tigers, even if they were rebuilding. So they went out and they got a few veterans, uh, Austin Romine at catcher, Jonathan Scope at second base, C.J. Crone at first base. Crone seems to be in a home run every day in inter-squad games. But that uh, really is designed to just make them a more respectable team in 2020. I mean, look, there's the 60-game season, and like you said, can anything happen? Yeah, technically it could, but with the Tigers, this isn't their year yet, but I think you're going to see more uh, a better brand of baseball. I think that they're going to have a lot more power, a lot more uh, production from the lineup because it was really, really difficult last year, and Obviously, you got guys like, you know, Matt Manning, Casey Mize, um, guys who might be up. I'd say Mize is going to be up sooner, but the pitching staff's a little bit suspect. They're kind of short there. So, no, I don't think they're going to make a run this season, but I think it's going to be better than people expect, especially after last season. Anthony, how special could Casey Mize be in some of the youth for the Tigers this year? I think Casey Mize is uh, advanced beyond his age right now. I think when you see him on the mound, you see a guy that uh, – really knows uh, what's working and what's not on any given day. He has so many pitches, five or six pitches, that uh, there's a lot of options to go to. But I think one of the things that's been most impressive is uh, the way that he can sequence his pitches. And I think, you know, everybody talks about Mize and Matt Manning. From this perspective, Manning's uh, got a little bit more potential, but Mize, Mize is really close. He's ready already. Everybody knows that service time is a consideration, even though the Tigers, uh, Tigers general manager Al Avila said it wasn't. I would expect, uh, I would expect Mize to be up. A couple weeks into the season, not too much longer because uh, the coaching staff was very, very impressed with him. Uh, one of the co- comparisons I get with him a lot is is a Mike Mussina. So I think that if the Tigers can find a guy like that, um, even if it's not you know a bona fide ace, obviously Mike Mussina is a Hall of Famer, but if this is a guy that could be number two, number three for many years inside that rotation, I think that's going to be a big plus for them. Anthony Fenich from the Detroit Free Press with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. How do you view the American League Central this season? I think it's a it's an improving division. I, again, like almost like the Tigers. I don't think this is the American League Central division's year, but obviously you have Minnesota, and I think they 
they ended the off season on a good note. All right, you got uh, you got the White Sox there, and they made some moves this off season. It seems look, John, it, it, it seems like the White Sox every year is their year. It seems like they've been rebuilding for eight years, to be honest with you. And there does seem to be a little bit more of a vibe because of so, they have so much young elite talent. I don't think necessarily. My view from the outside is that there's just it, it doesn't seem like the brew is ever necessarily right there. Okay, so I got the White Sox finishing third. I think the the Indians. Uh, I actually think the Indians are going to win that division. I just have a feeling about the Indians. Um, a lot of respect for Terry Francona as manager, and then you got Shane Bieber, Mike Clevenger, um, Zach Plesac, Carlos Carrasco. Very impressive starting rotation. So I got the uh, I got the Indians, Twins, White Sox, Tigers, Royals, but I think. Next couple years with the Tigers, as they kind of start coming of age, and I, I wouldn't necessarily rule out rule out the Royals either because this team's done it before. Uh, but people forget that they came within one win of winning back-to-back World Series, and they did it with uh, strict, you know, strict payroll there in Kansas City, and that's a good organization. So I think in the years to come, you're gonna you're gonna see a very uh, very tough division, but I don't think it's gonna be this year. Anthony, lastly, and I appreciate your time. Could you tell me about Miguel Cabrera? You can't move that salary. That's that's a ton of money that he's going to be making through 2025. Uh, so do you foresee him being with the Tigers for the long haul at age 37? Yeah, I do. And I think, uh, Jonathan, I think uh, Miguel Cabrera looks great. Uh, he's in the best shape that I've seen him since I've been covering the team since 2015. Um, he looks in great shape, and both physically and mentally, especially mentally. I mean, He's still laughing, joking around, dancing on the bases, and that's, you know, we're we got at the end of uh, end of summer camp. I think the veteran presence helps um, with the guys around him. I think he respects those players, and um, I think that everybody should just kind of realize that Miguel Cabrera is arguably the greatest right-handed hitter of his generation. I think he was embarrassed last year, um, and I think he's going to finish his career very strong. It would not surprise me if. Uh, he made he did some damage this year, not on the power side, but especially from a batting average perspective. I think good things are in store for Cabrera. So Anthony Fenich from the Detroit Free Press talking to us about the Tigers in the American League Central. What about the National League Central? Let's preview a couple of teams that the Cubs have to deal with. That's next right here on UTH. This is under the hood. Under the Hood podcasts are available now on the all-new ESPN Chicago app. Available on your device now. This is ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. So glad that you are with us here. Let us uh, take a look at the Milwaukee Brewers with Matt Pauley. Matt Pauley covers the Brewers for uh, the Brewers Radio Network. He's a pre- and post-game host working with Bob Euchre up there and Jeff Levering for the Brewers. I, I talked to Matt earlier about what the Cubs and other teams in the National League uh, Central have to deal with. I asked him what stood out most about the Brewers last season. Yeah, I think it was a season where they had a lot of players not perform to the level that they were expected to perform, and maybe the season did not go as well as they were hoping it would go based off the NLCS appearance even the year before that. But once again, you get into September and they went on a run just as they did the year before, and they were able to get into the postseason. It was a tough way for that uh, 
for the season to end when they ended up losing to the Nationals uh, there in the wild card. But uh, overall, I thought uh, for a second straight year, Craig Council showed what he could do with an expanded roster in September, and that was enough for them to be a postseason team. Matt, this is a different season for the Brewers with no Grandal and no Moustakis. Um, so how do you look at the roster without those two guys that can really mash offensively? Yeah, so I think at catcher, Omar Nevarez is going to do a nice job. We all know that he's got the bat. The question is, can he do enough defensively that he's not going to be a liability behind the plate? The Brewers are really good at helping to develop catchers, especially uh, in terms of framing pitches. They think they can do a lot to help pitchers, or excuse me, have uh, catchers do that. And Grandall was so good when it came to framing pitches. He's one of the best in baseball at doing that. And you got to get some version of that out of Nevaez and just make sure he's a good enough receiver. So. Even even though, yes, Monty Grandal was such a good player, I feel like they're more equipped to kind of replace him at catcher. When you look at the, the third base situation, and that's basically how, where even though Mike Moustakis played a lot of second base, they've got Keston here at second. You really look at third when you're talking about replacing Mike Moustakis, and that's the biggest question mark on this team. Right now, Eric Sogard and Jed Jerko are going to be over there. Uh, once Luis Urias gets back, if Orlando Arcia does a nice job at shortstop, uh, Urias will be in the mix at third as well. But when you think about third base being a power position, an RBI position, I don't know if the way the Brewers roster is set up right now, if they've got that over at third. Matt Pauley from the Brewers Radio Network does pre and post with me, Jonathan Hood, right here on ESPN 1000, the ESPN Chicago app. Matt, uh, I'm interested in your thoughts about the pitching uh, because that is going to be so essential. 60 games, uh, condensed schedule, pitching has to matter. How do you look at the Brewers pitching staff versus others in the National League Central? Well, I think it's Brandon Woodruff and kind of everybody else. They've got a bunch of other guys who really, if your name's not Brandon Woodruff, your job is to go give five, six innings and keep the team in the game. And whether it's a an Adrian Hauser, a Brett Anderson who's going to start the year on the injured list, a Freddie Peralta, a Corbin Burns who is going to be tried in the rotation once again after a tough season last year. It's all about these guys just giving enough to keep you in the game when you hand the ball over to the bullpen. Each of the last two years, and it's worked, it seems like they try to allocate resources more to position players and they feel like they can find a way to get it done from a from a pitching perspective. So their, their pitching is set up a little bit differently than other teams because those other teams are not so much, uh, again, the Brewers are just kind of focused on the guys who can give you five, six innings and, and get you to the bullpen and keep you in the game. Now, all that being said, you still need them to be able to do that and there's from a track record standpoint there's not a huge track record for any of these guys so it's kind of a question mark on an every night basis and that's the dicey part you can say okay do the Brewers just do what they've always done with starting pitching and it's worked the last couple years and they've been a postseason club so you can just expect these guys to do the same thing or do you get real worried that everybody not named Brandon Woodruff might struggle and it puts you really behind the eight ball to get the season started and that absolutely is uh, one of the biggest storylines going into the year. Lastly, Matt, and I appreciate your time, uh, it's an interesting National League Central uh, with the Brewers, with the Cubs, uh, with St. Louis, as we take a look at the ebb and flow of this of this division. What, what is the Brewers' chances of maybe getting the wild card or getting to the playoffs this year? 
Yeah, I think they've got as good a shot as just about anybody. This is a really good division with four teams that I think could win the division. The Reds, to me, are the most improved team in the National League based off what they've done from a roster standpoint. Uh, the Cardinals are the defending division champions, and uh, they lost a little, but they should be very good again this year. You've got the Brewers. The Cubs are a very talented team as well. I don't know if there is another division in baseball that has four teams as talented as the National League Central, and it's going to be really tough. And 40 games of the 60-game schedule are against your divisional opponents. I, The Brewers can win the division. They absolutely can get into the wild card, but I think we can say that about the Cardinals. I think we can say that about the Cubs, and I even think we can say that about the Reds. And in a 60-game schedule, Jonathan, we all know one bad week or one really bad two-week stretch could could just kill you or it could push you forward. And if uh, you have injuries that really impact you, I mean, it it won't take much in a 60-game schedule for all of a sudden things to kind of come off the rails. So many unknowns going into this year. Matt Pauley, the pre- and post-game host uh, for the Milwaukee Brewers, joined me, and I talked to him earlier today to get an idea of what the Cubs are dealing with with the National League Central and the Brew Crew. All right, coming up, we will have Summer of Football, as we always do in our 8 o'clock hour. Stacey Dales will get her thoughts about the Bears, what they have to deal with here. What are the the storylines for the Bears for the 2020 season? We'll have that for Summer of Football coming up next right here on Under the Hood.